Hello to my ACB family. This is David Trot Treasurer. I am asking your support for my re-election. Please put me on the team that's working for a brighter future for ACB. I look forward to meeting you all at the Candidates Forum. Today, ACB has completed the launch of a new Alexa skill called ACB Media that will now replace the previous ACB Alexa skills. To access the new skill from your Alexa-enabled device, first enable the skill by saying Alexa, enable ACB Media, and launch the skill by saying Alexa, open ACB Media, and then select the stream of your choice. For the full list of stream names, please visit https colon slash slash www.acbmedia.org slash home slash streams. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm so glad to have you guys here. Uh, and uh, thank you, Mr. Duke. We appreciate the, the, uh, the, the uh, recognition that I'm out here on my own on a very thin plank that I could fall off at any moment. <laughs> thank you so much for that. We're, we're doing another of our uh, risky exercises tonight in that we've got two questions that I thought it would be fun for us to look at, one during the first hour, and if it goes a little longer, that's fine, and one during the second hour. During the first hour, I thought it would be interesting to explore a question that I've heard a lot of different answers to, uh, and, and, and that has to do with why it is that in spite of the passage of two civil rights bills, uh, the, the, the Rehab Act uh, and uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the unemployment rate for people who are blind has essentially remained the same. It, it was the same after the passage of the Rehab Act, and, and it's remained relatively the same uh, after the passage of uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. And before anybody else says it, let me say that, that, that I absolutely subscribe to the notion that Benjamin Disraeli began with, and that is that there are three kinds of lies in ascending order, lies, Dan, lies, and statistics. So one can't necessarily accept the notion that the unemployment statistics that we have for blind folks are absolutely correct. What we can say, though, I think, is that assuming that they are developed and organized in a similar fashion, and they are, the numbers have remained pretty constant for the last 30 or 40 years. And, and there are many of us who think that there, there ought to have been ways that, that we could have done more uh, to, to change those unemployment statistics. So there, there are all kinds of reasons why the unemployment statistics may be high. Um, I suppose I could start by putting some out there, but I don't know why I should do that when there are some of you 
um, who I'm happy to say already have your hands raised. I think that that what I'm going to do in just a moment is ask uh, Debbie, because I think Debbie is our hand-raising person tonight, um, to recognize someone who's got their hand raised and see if you'd like to respond with the answer to the question, why has the unemployment rate remained so high? And by the time we're, we're finished with this hour, by the way, we're going to try to come up with some ideas about what we can do about this. And I'm also going to tell you what Tuesday Topics is going to do in the future and why we didn't do it now. Um, because there, there, are, there are some groups we could have invited um, to be a part of this group, but I wanted us to do this session first, and then down the road we're going to invite three groups to be a part of Tuesday Topics and consider this item again, probably over Labor Day. Um, but anyway, um, Miss Deb, is there someone whose hand is yes, raised? Yes, Lynn, Lynn Corral. Miss Corral. Hello. Hello, Hello there. Uh, well, you know, I'm getting older, but one of the things I'm doing, I'm getting a PhD and the, actually I'm in my last class before dissertation. And my dissertation is going to be something like, I think I'm changing it because this class is advanced qualitative research, but is something about employment of blind women after they've graduated from a four-year university and what, you know, what are the perceptions, what are, you know, and stuff like that. And I think the reason that the unemployment rate is still so high is because the attitudes of employers have not changed relative to the research I've done. There are a lot of stereotypes about technology. There are a lot of stereotypes about jobs that blind people could do. And so a lot of these perceptions and then the skills that blind people have sometimes um, are lagging or wanting. So that is what I have to say about that. So you think you think you're 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 putting two two items on the list. So um, a lack of preparedness on the part of um, blind applicants for jobs in terms of the technology that they need is, right. is one factor. And, right. and the second factor is the de deplorable attitude of employers with regard to wanting to hire folks who are blind. Correct. And, and when my study is finished, you know, in a couple of years, I'll let you know about blind women and stuff like that. But yeah. Well, we'll have to have you on to discuss what your findings are. Uh, yeah. Miss Lynn. Thank you. That's excellent. And is, you're doing this in Oregon? No, I'm actually doing it online. I've been doing this since November 2018 at uh -huh. Walden University. They're based in Minneapolis. Their administrative offices are in Columbia, Maryland, and their students to support people are in Arizona. So yeah, Tucson. <laughs> nice. Well, that's interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we've got two items for our list. Miss Deb. Okay. And Scott. Scott Marshall. Mr. Marshall. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Hey. Thanks for having me. Um, uh -huh. I, I don't have any answers, but I'm, I'm angry. And uh, I've got a, f a few things on my list that if I were talking to my 18-year-old or 8-year-old self, what I would want to tell him or her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, we have been duped to think that the rehab system is going to help us get a job. I think we overestimated the impact of the ADA and employment. 
Um, I, I don't see that what we've been doing the last 40 years has made a whit of difference. Um, I think, in fact, the rehab system, at least with respect to the counseling aspect of it, we ought to, you know, light a match and start over. Yep. Uh, and I would, I would say, and I'm not so arrogant to think that I've got all the answers by any means. And have I done everything I'm going to suggest that's possible solutions? No. But the solutions are with you and I. Not, not the rehab system, except to say that what they could do that would be helpful, I think, is write a check uh, to support younger people. And I'm talking about people that are still in school so that they can achieve preparedness for employment and, and get to the point of, of being competitive. Um, and attractive to employers. So would would you say that 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 you are therefore supportive of the the pre-ets and 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 the other educational components of uh, early intervention for employment training that's a part of White Weoa? Yeah, yeah. Except I, I want to get it down to the grassroots level and say, for example, that. A, if we're talking about children, and it's a different situation with adults, and they have sure. different different challenges and advantages too, for that matter. But let's talk about kids for a minute. Kids should learn at the earliest age possible all they can learn about technology and the AT that's needed to access it. Yeah, and, and we that, really don't know how much they know. And we either. don't help them do that very right. much at that right. age. Right. And I'm talking about from the time they stop drinking out of a bottle. And I'm talking about a baby <laughs> bottle. I, I mean, we're going to start this really early, right. it seems to me. And in, in, in the same sense, and then I'll, I'll shut up because I've got a whole bunch of other ideas that are percolating here. But mm-hmm. um, uh, that, that same training should be applied so that that young kid becomes a crack information gatherer. Mm-hmm using existing tools like Google Um, and hopefully with some support, if there was a financial need, um, you know, he or she would have that iPhone, that, that computer in the pocket and Mm -hmm. have the technology that they needed along with the training to do that. And then I've got some other things that I can talk about later. If you want, in terms of more in terms of developing the mindset Mm-hmm. Doing the right talking to oneself, and actually then figuring out what are my dreams versus what is reality in terms of where the jobs are mm-hmm. and where they are going to be years from now, well, with the yeah, notion and, that you should be able to, or or you may very well have to reinvent yourself. Several yeah, times. right. So, in in terms of putting a list together, I'm going to add I'm going to add two things. Firstly. Um, creating an intentional education system that recognizes the, the absolute need for techno- technological training to be to be continued from the ground from the ground up, and to have technological expectations for all of our blind and visually impaired kids. That's that's one of the the ways you solve the problem, and one of the problems that we now have 
But I think the other thing that I hear you saying, um, or I think I hear you saying, is that uh, every every sighted individual um, starts doing career education in grade two or grade three. And for the most part, blind kids uh, are using the periods where there's vocational education for everybody else to do work to improve their braille skills and their academic skills and and for the most part get no access at at the elementary and junior high level uh, to vocational education and have no opportunity for the most part um, for work experience in high school which virtually every other student has by the time they graduate so i'm assuming you're saying that as well Yes, uh, I, I don't think they have to be in either or situation. Right. And I would also add into that equation that um, things like getting into the habit of reading and writing something every day. Yeah. Uh, getting into the habit of moving every day and not ignoring physical education and, and all the good things that go with that and, yep. are also critical tools uh, to future success yep. and future health. I mean, there's no question about it. And yep. we know so that, much more now than we did when you and I were growing up. About that yes, story. right. I think the physical education is is interesting because um, a, a mm -hmm. lot of kids are graduating from school with with virtually no physical education yep. um, and and really no ability to get around. No ability to and attractive people make more money. There's research to that effect. But, well, there is the attractive people who read Braille do. <laughs> well, with a capital B, my God, yeah, totally. Thank you, Mr. Jonathan. That's a good idea you've got. <laughs> Mister uh, Mister Scott, we'll come back to you later. Okay, Miss Deborah, Chris, Chris Bell. Hey guys, Chris. Hey, hey Chris. So um, I'm not going to try to repeat what other people have said. We, we have no expectation as blind people that we're supposed to work. Um, in fact, uh, it, we're the easiest group uh, to get Social Security Disability or SSR. All we yeah. have to do is show replies. And yeah. uh, if you look at the uh, disability ratings, blind people are considered to be 85% disabled. Yeah. As, as a group. So if we have no expectations that we're going to work, that's a society has no expectations that we're going to work, which goes back to what Lynn said, and also to the fact that all the studies say that the, the medical condition most uh, cited people fear is blindness, not cancer or, you know, aneurysm or any of that other stuff. So there's a low expectation from society and a low expectation from families and a low expectation on ourselves. And those things have to be changed. Um, and now, do I know how to change them? Well, no, I really don't. But uh, the other thing to build on what Scott was saying is I think that uh, we need to make a commitment that all children, not just blind children, not just disabled children, but all children get some form of uh, smartphone or smart communication device um by the first grade if not in kindergarten and it, if you can't if you can't afford it then you got to get it 
because it, you know, it would be fascinating to know if that might be um, one of the one of the positive byproducts of the pandemic. Possibly, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a new idea. But at least twenty years ago, Newt Gingrich uh, said he thought every kid ought to get a laptop. Mm-hmm. His, his conservative friends immediately denounced him, but. But, you know, we, we, people need to have those devices and we need to have it on, a, on an equal um, basis uh, and not a discriminatory basis the way our system works now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then thirdly, I think that blind students, younger, younger students need um, specialized intensive training on assistive technology. In other words, I don't think it's enough. Right. Even if you gave everybody a smartphone and you taught them, that's not going to help blind kids. Blind kids no. need intensive training in writing and reading and researching and all that stuff. And so that's got to be part of the uh, hardware and educational model. And I'll shut up. Thank you. Well, don't don't shut up now quite yet because I want to ask you a question. Um, uh, we're very fortunate to have Chris with us because he, he did a lot of work on... Um, on Title I um, of, of, of the ADA. Um, and do you think that, do you think that Title I um, offered or offers the, the, or if Section 504 come to that, offers protection um, to folks who are disabled, which we're not using? Absolutely. And the reason yeah. for that is that um, if you look at the uh, statistics on hiring claims versus yeah. other kinds of like discharge claims, um, across all the laws that EEOC enforces, not just ADA, but age and Title VII and all of them, hiring claims are the lowest. And they're about 7 to 11% of all the claims. And the reason they are is really simple. You know, you send out, pick a number, 100 resumes. Um, you don't have any expectation that you're going to get a particular job. Um, and you're not pissed if you don't, because you don't have the expectation to begin with. And you haven't lost any money because you haven't lost a job. So the, the uh, ability of somebody to make a claim that is uh, successful from a hiring perspective, is very difficult. And not to mention that the person on the inside doesn't know who was hired. So they don't know whether a non-disabled person was hired or somebody was less qualified. They don't have any information. Whereas if you're fired, yeah. you still know people on the job and you've lost money. So now you're pissed off. And the two things that drive litigation are anger and money. Yeah. So if you don't have those present, which you don't have in uh, applicant status, you're just not going to get the claims. That's the bottom He's- line. Do you think that the existence of SSI um, makes it more difficult for blind folks to seek work? You mean because it's so easy to get? Well, be, yeah, and 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 also because it, you, you'll you'll never you'll virtually never lose it. And, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about that because right, um, I know a lot of I know a lot of blind people who really needed it. You know, and right. you need it. So, I, you know, on the one hand, while I'd like to see expectations that blind people can work, there are a hell of a lot of us that, that that's not a realistic expectation. 
Right. And also, that's not even talking about people that have multiple disabilities, blindness, plus other things. Sure. So it's a pretty complicated situation. But I don't think, uh, I never thought that the ADA was going to solve um, the employment problem for people really? with disabilities generally. No, I never did. I thought it was important to have, all right? But I, I was never one to believe that, uh, you know, our labor force participation rate would uh, triple or quadruple and that our employment rate would be, our unemployment rate would be roughly the same as uh, non-disabled people. That, that was very unrealistic. Yeah. One of the things, one of the things that, um, that made me hopeful was the number of uh, Fortune 500 companies that right after the ADA got really involved and set up special programs and on and on. Now they've they've virtually all gone away now, but for a while it looked to me like the uh, that like the private sector was really interested in doing something. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I think that was true for for large companies, but understand yeah. that most people are employed by smaller employers right? Um, who don't have the HR departments and the compliance people um, and all those other things that may make uh, employment of somebody with a disability who needs accommodation or a change in the testing rules or whatever. Um, because, you know, I've dealt with a lot of small companies as an employment lawyer and, yeah. you know, they're clueless and yeah. I don't blame them. They are. Um, Chris, thank you so much for calling in. Um, if, sure. if, if you feel like, um, if you feel like making a point later on, feel free to raise your hand and we'll, and we'll recognize you. All right. Thanks, Paul. Take care. Excellent. Guys. Thank you. Phone number Ms. ending in 2704. Oh, hi. Hi, Paul Edwards. Hi, Paul and group. My name is Nancy Younger. I live in California. I've been hi. gainfully employed. Hi, I'm 67. Been gainfully employed for 40 and a half years. I worked, started working for SSA when I lived in Ohio, and rehab was very helpful. I mean, they didn't offer me any other job, but it's probably one of the richest states in the union at that time. Right. And they were even going to send me to Eastern University, Eastern Michigan, for to be a rehab counselor. But I said, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, and then and then I I was in LA. Um, rehab was took too long, so something someone called Adept, Michael Stern from Adept, helped me find my job with Amtrak. And what I'm trying to say is, I, I used to live on the Dole. I called the Dole SSI the Dole, okay, for a few years, a couple of years after college. I'm not faulting people. Some people want to live on the Dole, but I think most, hopefully, most blind people do not, and because it's hard. So I would say that rehab needs. I, I think that Mike Stern from this private agency talked to Amtrak because they they supplied my. <laughs> Two, two big braille supply, you know, 80, 80 cell braille displays from, mm -hmm. from uh, Freedom from Vispero uh, now. Yeah. And they got tax write offs, I'm sure, but I never had to pay for any of that and rehab wasn't involved. I would say that rehab or whomever helps a blind person become employed should work, work talk to the employer. I think someone must have talked to, my to them on my behalf because I had a couple interviews, they hired me. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I think that. I think the rehab has to have not just counsel people, but they need to talk. Maybe they talk to the employers now. I don't know what they did. I don't even know if they did it because uh, I hardly used rehab for uh, for employment because they weren't, uh, they, they, well, in Ohio I did, but not in California. So I would say that um, rehab needs to help educate the employer because the blind person doesn't have as much credibility sometimes. You know, we have nothing, you know, he said, she said. 
And yes. I, so, know, so we, we need rehab yeah, counselors we, to act as intermediaries for us. Does that yes, what I hear you saying? I, like, yeah. I, I feel that's very important. Like I had Opticon, I went for Opticon training, so I didn't have a braille display for a while. I had to use the Opticon on the screen with, with the wow. guiding, with the, with the guide. I know that was hard, but I learned to do it. I, um, and that was for a couple of years until I finally got a braille display. And I, mm-hmm. I was like, oh boy, am I going to, am I going to make this, make it? But, um, I don't know. I just think that rehab has to be, you know, it's not just an education. I mean, I went to college and, but that, that's not always possible. You know, I think um, technology training is, is, is valuable. Uh, also, when, when people, if they go to college or trade school, they need to kind of take a good look at what they really want to study. I, got, I have a BA in psychology, and that wasn't real practical unless I was, right. was going to go on to get my, you know. So they need to get better counseling. Don't, would you think that's true, Paul? Would you think would. that's true? If they're gonna- I, I would. I would. I, and I think the counseling needs to start right at the beginning of college. I mean, I would like to see I would like to see blind kids looking at the kind of jobs that were available. I, I mean, clearly, if you're going to get a bachelor's in psychology, you know you're going to have to go on for a master's and at, well, yeah. at the very least. And if, you, and if you're not prepared to do that, um, if you're not prepared to do that, and and prepared to figure out how you're going to fund it because rehab is not required to. Yeah. Um, then then you, you shouldn't be doing it. You should pick another degree. No, it, no. I, I I took some classes in speech pathology. That's what I should have pursued, or social work, or something more practical. Yeah. But I was yeah. never really I never really received the proper guidance. Maybe in my next life right. I will. But I don't want to keep other people from talking. But I thought those were some good things to bring up. Thank you. Yep. And and I think that. The, the 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 biggest the the biggest point that that you made is that that we need to do a much better job of counseling blind folks right from the beginning in terms of helping them to make good decisions. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Hope you feel better. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Miss Deb. Chris Coulter. Hello. Hey, Miss Chris. Yeah, you know, I agree with what all of you are saying about. Um, what we need to do to be responsible for our own um, hiring for jobs, our own even getting interviewed and all of that. But there is one piece of, uh, there is one piece to this that is, uh, I didn't know very much about until several years ago. But um, there is a misunderstanding among some many sighted people, I've heard a lot, of them, a lot of people say this, that, well, why are you wanting to get a job when the government gives you money? Uh, and and uh, at first, I wondered why anyone would ask that. And then I heard about Missouri's blind pension. Uh-huh. That is $1,000 a year, or I don't know, $1,000 for a certain amount of time. And this is, uh, it, I heard that people were outraged by the fact that, that uh, blind people were insisting on getting employment when they were being paid for by the government. And it wasn't just SSI that they were talking about. And I did discuss this with a couple people who, who were very nice, but they were saying, well, why are you... Uh, why are you doing this? Why are you why are you wanting a job with that government payment? And I said, 
we are not really paid by the government except for people who are on SSI, and that's not very much money. And they and they were all flabbergasted. The um the the blind pension program in Missouri and the and there are there are blind pension programs in in Australia and um, mm-hmm. and New Zealand and the UK um, right. that are that are that are similar are interesting because they're not means tested. That is, you can you can go on getting the blind pension in Australia, for instance, um, even if you're even if you're making two hundred thousand dollars a year. I didn't know that. That's um, interesting, but the United States would be all upset about that. The presumption of of the non means tested blind pension pension programs is that there are costs associated with being blind. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we 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 that we can't just jump in a car and go someplace. We have to pay for transportation differently. We can't um, we can't um, automatically jump up on our roofs mm-hmm. and repair them. We have to right. hire folks to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the assumption is that, or, or the assumption of these programs that that are that are non-means tested is that is that there is a cost of blindness that that um, that it's okay um, for mm-hmm. society to pay. That, yeah, I I think that that is the second piece of the of the thing that I would want to say to the the sighted people, the conservative sighted right. people who are saying this is now that I know the now that I know how those mm-hmm. unmeans tested things work. Right. Um. Yeah, but that is a huge a huge um, problem as far as uh, I, I think. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is society says to blind people, we've looked after you and you ought to be content with what we give you and you shouldn't seek to work because we're essentially paying you this money so you don't. Yeah. And they need to get information. They need to have the information that says, hey, look, these the the blind guy can't it can't necessarily completely fix his own car or climb up on yeah. the roof you know that as you say they, they this is something we need to find people who will who will make those pre- or right. ourselves to, who well, will make those presentations to people and and interestingly enough if you remember there used to be a blind tax deduction that was based on that premise as well but that's now gone away, and one that's of the right. questions. Why I'd forgotten? Yeah. Yeah. One, one yeah. of the questions is why in the world did that go away? Because things certainly haven't changed for blind folks. No. <laughs> no, but that was that was the reason they went away. It was because we had people like um, I don't know when it, I don't know when it went away. I can't remember, but not um, long ago, probably. I want to say under five years ago. You know? No. No. <laughs> but, okay. No. Yeah. More recently yeah. than that. Okay. But but it's an interesting mm-hmm. question. Chris, thank you so much. Thank you. Excellent. Miss Deb? Pam, Pam Coffee. Miss Pam? Yes. And fortunately, this time I got oh, the alert to no. yes. unmute. You hey. did. <laughs> last, You're I think it was last week. I never, I finally, yeah, I guess, finally. Deb actually to... has, has updated her Zoom twice. Yeah, and it's and it's it. now working like a dream, Miss Deborah. Good. Thank you so I'm much. I was going to make sure you weren't left out if I had to come yeah, down to Birmingham myself. Yeah, a whole myself. bunch of other people that couldn't get in. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I think all of you 
all of the ones who have previously spoken are making really good points. I particularly echo what Lynn and I think his name was Scott, the one who spoke uh-huh. right after her, uh-huh. uh, said, um, I know the kinds of experiences that I had growing up. Career education, there was no such thing when I was in school. You nope. just, you took your basic, your reading, your writing, your math, and your history, and your whatever. They're, the only people that got career education, and I, I was in public school, the only people who got career education were the ones who took a class I think, if I remember correctly, back then it was called distributive education. Uh And I had no clue what that meant when I first started high school and I would hear people talk about it. But they would take a class. These are all sighted kids. Yeah. Uh, They would take a class and they would actually work part time in the afternoon usually and they would get academic credit for that and Um, and money and money but those were just a handful of people that were able to do that and and for the rest of us it was just career education didn't exist right and so um i had some uh, let's just say I had very mixed experiences with rehab counselors mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, talked with a, um, a career, let me think, what did they call it? Oh, this was when I was in college. There was a career counseling center uh, or something like that play a career guidance or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I did talk with her a, a little bit, not as much as I probably should have, but, but the point is, uh, she was much more equipped to help sighted students. Yep. And so, you know, all the career planning material was in print no no such thing as braille brochures and all that so um for those of us who are older especially uh it was almost a no-win situation back then and i did major in psychology i know what what it's like i majored in psychology and um I even started working on a master's in counseling and Mm -hmm. well, I won't go into what all happened. Uh, Things happened and it never totally got completed. And it was really, it was a field that I really didn't have the aptitude for. And I realized that pretty quickly. Um, It's hard to do. It's not an easy job. Counseling is a gift. You either have it or you don't. And the training, yes, the training helps it, helps to, uh, oh, to enhance, I guess, that gift. But if that's not your gift, 
the rehab counselors can tell you that to your face about, oh, you ought to go into counseling. You ought to go into social work. Social work was the big thing when I was in college. Yes. A lot of, of uh, it was blind a big kids thing for who blind had people, no business, yeah. who had right. no business being in social work. Right. But, and, um, and, and they didn't often end up finding jobs either. So Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yes. And I could yeah. tell you some horror stories about mm -hmm. people I have known that were like that. Mm -hmm. So as for a solution, your guess is as good as mine. Because oh. if I knew the solution, I might have had a very good career for all of my life. Well, we're going to. We're going to come back to solutions before we're yeah. done tonight, Pam. So that's great. Gotcha. But thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Excellent. Miss Deb Johnson. Hey, sir. Larry. Let's see. Did I do it? Am yep. I? All right. Yeah, you're good. Hello again, Paul. Hey, sir. Well, first of all, I guess I have to confess that I was on the other side of the fence for uh, 21 years as an HR manager. So uh, I came to some fairly comprehensive uh, answers to your questions. Good. The first question, and, and why just, are there not just to, more... Just to be clear, Larry, yeah. <clears throat> Larry worked as uh, an HR manager for AT&T. So it's, it's a really large company. It was Southwestern Bell then, but it was, it was still part of a company that eventually got closed down for antitrust activity. So it was a pretty huge company. Go for it, Mr. Lair. And I will say, first of all, with regard to that experience, it was amazing to me the number of people who came to apply, <clears throat> uh, disabled and non-disabled, who didn't have a clue about right. how to apply or right. what to apply for or how to prepare themselves to be a qualified candidate. but. Stepping back just a minute, why is it that our employment statistics haven't really changed? And my view is this. First of all, most jobs are in the service industry. The first job that most kids get is in the service industry, whether it's being a bagger at the grocery store or a uh, stalker or uh, perhaps working for a hotel as a driver or <laughs> as a, a, a sky cap. Uh, and the majority of these jobs are a real challenge if you don't have vision. And so a large percentage of the entry-level positions that sighted people get in the very beginning are closed to us. Mm -hmm. Because of that, the numbers are substantially less. Now, about five years ago, I had a sit-down meeting with the uh, local VR uh, office head and the executive director for the lighthouse. And I said, you know, guys, <clears throat> the majority of jobs are in small business. 80% of hires are by small business, not by 500 
uh, companies. Mm-hmm. They're not the corporations. It's glamorous to go to work for a, for a major company. But most jobs are in the small business area. Now, the problem with the small business area is that they have no experience with how to hire or accommodate a person who is visually impaired. And so I proposed, this was um, the 25th anniversary of ADA. And I said, I'm going to challenge you guys to go out and find 25 small businesses that will accept an intern for I uh, forgot what it was now, two, two months or something like that, that you will pay that person's salary for those two months. So the small business owner is not out that money. And they will not be under an obligation at the end of that two months to hire that person. But what you are doing by, by, by this program is, number one, you're providing these 25 individuals with an opportunity to have work experience, to learn about work ethic and to learn about work tasks, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, you're also educating these small business owners, whether they are dry cleaners or they're beauty shops or they're uh, printers or wherever they are, that you fit them in and you're educating that owner and their personnel that, hey, this person actually is helpful to us. They actually can do some tasks. And even if they don't have an opening, They have a network and they can share, say, you know what? We had this person who was visually impaired and they came in and interned with us for two months and we would recommend them to you. And the program worked. It it was not repeated. So my challenge and my part of the solution, it's not the whole solution, because not everybody is college bound or college interested or college material. And so let's figure out how to take some of these kids, young adults, who really aren't interested in college, and let's put them through an internship type program where they could be exposed to working in a small business environment and learn some of the skills that are so critically important, because I will also share with you this, that in our experience, we found that more people lose their jobs, not because they don't have the skills, but because they don't have the ethic and they don't know how to get along with other employees. Yep. Interesting. Thank you, sir. I think, I think we can take two, two, Two major problems. Then one is is um, uh, is 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 uh, uh, insufficient training, but the but but the other is uh, not being um, not being emotionally ready um, for work. Uh, and I get that, Miss Deborah. Yes, Elizabeth Bowden. Liz from Tallahassee. Elizabeth. Bowden. Elizabeth. Okay. I had to, I'm on low power mode, so Mm -hmm. I hope I don't run out, but I'm going to do 
my solution and my problems because I'm with my sister and and um, we're supposed to be eating. So, um, and they want to know why this is important. But um, so um, I want to let everybody know that I am older. I'm a current job seeker. I have had, and I'm trying to con- consolidate this every, you know, down into as small as I can. I've had three, one, two, three ADA problems, two with employers, one with um, people that, um, sh- you know, the actual attorney general's office for the state of Florida regarding accessibility of their uh, um, skills testing materials. Right. Um, and I think a lot of it is education of, you know, employers and um, agencies and people because, you know, the lady kept saying, well, you should be able to take that typing test. I looked on the screen and I was able to make it larger. And I kept saying, I'm blind. <laughs> I'm not going to use that. And um, so, and so when I, I did file a complaint, because I was angry. But the problem um, is that the EEO is going to side with the employer every time. And that's what my, when I, because I did have one of my ADA claims went to mediation. I had a very good um, ADA lawyer. And that's what she told me. She said, go ahead and file this particular place. I had to file two claims against it. The one that went to mediation. She said, go ahead and file. But the, the um, EEOC is going to, is going to not be on your side. Don't expect them to be. And they weren't. And so they weren't on this other lady who thought she could enlarge the screen of the dancing typing test. So I could do it. Um, I think what needs to happen, because I did work at a facility that was supposed to be in charge of training blind people, and they had one of the programs for 14 to 21. Uh-huh. So when, and so when they were 14, those kids had no technological skills. Right. None. They didn't, and they never had, they didn't even have one person that was in charge uh-huh. of teaching them technology. They didn't think it was important. And um, I think that with the resource uh, teachers like they are now, what they're going to have to do is actually really vamp that up so that you don't have, you have one hour of vision stuff in school, but you also have, and you don't do it during PE. Because then, of course, you don't get to participate and learn teammate skills and everything else if they're taking you out of PE. Have it during study hall or homeroom or some kind of other art maybe you know as long as the person isn't art inclined you know if they're interested in art you have to think of something else but i mean i know art was very unproductive for me yeah we're gonna make i mean you know so um they need to be more creative about what they do but they also need to have a program that kids are on you do uh, vision rehabilitation at least four days a week, three hours a day, in addition to school, because those kids are so unprepared for everything. Right. Right. And I don't mean just technology. I mean, socialization. Yeah. They don't have any. Uh, and that's what the public schools are doing to them. And I think it's just wrong. Yeah. So we need, so, we need that, yeah. well-rounded work training. 
yes. in, in the public school system. But the other thing we need is compliance with the law by, by, by state and federal authorities um, who currently don't comply with the law in terms of access to jobs. In terms um, of access to within jobs. Within their system. And yep. their, their um, computer systems that they use for uh, work product. Excellent. So, and also, um, I want to, I've done it most of my job hunting and all by myself. Right. The, the Division of Line Services here is very understaffed and, and very inadequate mm-hmm. in terms of that they had a placement specialist who didn't know what he was doing uh-huh. and no background in technology. They ended up getting, you know, he left. I think they asked him to leave. But his, his approach was very lackadaisical and, you know, ha-ha funny. He thought it was great. His biggest goal that he made one year was that one of the um, persons that he placed, he thought the biggest part of her placement and the most exciting part was that her fellow employees liked her dog so much that they gave it a dog bed. And I'm like, you know what? That's not the point. Uh, the point it is, is that, not. <laughs> I mean, you know, but that he went around telling that success story all over. And I think that's, that's just not where we're at. It and, isn't. And I think Braille is very important too. I think I'm one of maybe five uh, employed line people who ever used Braille. All well, the others did not. And it was, I'd, you know, I'd like to say there are, there are more than five of us. <laughs> no, in this city. Okay. I'm not saying <clears throat> got you, got everywhere. You. Right, got but, it. Because everybody that I, there were three that worked in the facility that I worked in, and I tried to encourage them to. They didn't use Braille, right? Um, and they didn't use it for their work product. They were slower. Yeah, um, they yep. were a little more not literate. Yeah, um, they couldn't do things independently as much. Probably they, couldn't I mean, spell you know, either. Well, I can't spell, but I think that's genetic. <laughs> um, that's why they make spell check. But, um, gotcha. So, but it was, I mean, there's no encouragement for the higher yeah. level skills gotcha. and, and they don't care. Miss Liz, thank you so much for your call. And, and sister, thanks for letting her talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Diane. So you can tell Diane. Thank you. Hey, hey Diane. Thank you. Tom's Good to right. talk to you again. <laughs> okay. Thanks, bye. Yep. Miss Deborah. Yes. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. Okay. Yep. This is Tom Frank from Vermont. Uh, First of all, I have to say Vermont is unique as we're most rural state in the country. And most of you have state counties that are a lot larger and more. (laughs) Yep. Oops. That's interesting. Tom, are you able to? Tom has disappeared poor thing he was doing everything right too i think i don't know why that did that but i was okay i'm I'm back i should be there okay there you go excellent go ahead sir okay so vermont is a small state we got that state and i said we just hired an assistant librarian for the state and from uh i forget which county in florida and when we were interviewing her I said, just uh, let me look at and the population in your county down there. Her county was 740,000 and our state is 640,000. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I said, you have to understand. So it's unique. So people are separated in that I've 
agree with just about what everybody else had said. So the only unique thing I would say is, first of all, the general population, and I make up these statistics, by the way, mm-hmm. about 20% of the people, kids, I don't care what you do, they're not going to do a great job in school. And they're about 20% of the kids, I don't care what you do, they're going to succeed in school. So you provide for the 60% in the middle and try to do the best you can. I just made up those statistics. So I'm wondering if the 30%, that's just a realistic statistic. I hope it's not. I'm on the State Rehabilitation Council, and we try to keep working on improving it and trying something new all of the time. The one thing I would point out, agreeing with Mr. Johnson, is one Mm -hmm. thing that we do in Vermont uh, we have it's called LEAP, Learn, Earn, and Prosper. And COVID made it so it isn't a residential program, but it was before, and hopefully next year it'll go back to that. For kids, the 16 to like 22, we bring them in from across the state because they might not know another blind kid. It's not another blind kid in their school, not in their town. So for six weeks in the summertime, bring them in. It's been virtual now, but hopefully back to residential and place them in various business around town. They get paid $300 a week and they have to get up in the morning and they have to go to work, as Mr. Johnson said, Mm -hmm. and they're worked on their social skills as well. So the counselors help them. Uh, you didn't brush your teeth this morning. Your breath stinks. Uh, yep. You're not going to win friends and influence people at the work. Tuck in your shirt. These are the things. And they work on the social skills, uh, how to interact, because some of them just have not gotten the skills. I don't think the schools, it's their responsibility. We don't have any residential schools in Vermont, so everybody is mainstreamed. Mm-hmm. So, and... And then the kids get together, and then for the rest of the year, they have somebody also that they can talk to through Zoom and share their problems and their successes. And I think that's important. Uh, and, and do you guys encourage the blind kids to talk to each other as well during the year? Oh, always. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And because yeah. they're isolated to begin with, they might not know. And, oh, you have that problem. Well, what do you do? Well, my parents don't want me to try going on the skateboard because they're afraid I'm going to get hurt. Well, this is what I do. Uh, Oh, you do it. Why can't I do it? So I think that's very important, not only learning the social skills, but being able to interact with their peers. Uh, Excellent. And the problem, we said we don't have residential schools here, but in some, and, and I didn't lose my, my sight started going bad when I was in the military. Uh, so not until I was 21 and I'm a hundred percent service connected. So money has never been an issue. So I can't right. talk about that, right. but uh, at least in the res, when there were residential schools and here, a lot of the, the ones from Vermont went to Perkins, at yes. least they had other blind folks to talk could be to role models yep. and role models. But when you're by yourself in a town, you have no role models. Yeah. So 
I think that's important, and that's what Mr. Johnson was saying yep. uh, about how to get those skills. And I think all rehab need to do that. Yep, excellent. Thank you so much for your call, and and, and welcome to Tuesday Topics. Yeah. I'm a member of Lua, but I haven't joined this because uh, we usually have something else. And CCLVI usually has a thing on Tuesday night. Some, but I've had to join this one. <laughs> Excellent. Glad you're here. Thank you so much, sir. Yep. Miss Deborah. Karen Ittel. Karen from yes. Texas. Hey, Karen. Yeah, good evening. Um, you know, we all said it in a roundabout way, but one of the things we address, and I'm not the right person to bring this up, other than I've observed it through an ex-boyfriend I had, but there is a way to skirt around the ADA in an inconspicuous way where you cannot get in trouble for it. And what I'm getting at is, as long as you don't say, because you're blind, you can't be hired. Uh, you can do that because you're blind. You can't be hired in other ways that we can't do nothing about because there's no real way to prove it. And y'all pretty much talked touched on it the whole evening that I've been here. Uh huh. I, I'm not sure I get what you're what what you're getting at, Karen. So so try and explain it to me a little more. Okay. Okay. You're interviewing me for a job in your site. Okay, Paul. Uh huh. And. The truth is, you can't say it to me. Oh, I can't say I, I can't say I, I don't want to hire you because you're blind. But you can work at come up with some some, un, some other fandangled way of getting out of hiring me that I can't prove that 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 you're doing it for. Ah, yeah, I think I think you make a good point. One of the ways that um, one of the ways that. Um, that employers have gotten around that is by requiring, say, a year of experience on the job. Um, and so a lot of blind people, because they don't have a lot of work experience, wouldn't qualify for the year in experience. And so they can be they can be excluded from the interview. So I get what you're saying now, Karen. Thank you. Well, yeah, and I and I hope I'm wrong. I hope that's changing. But y'all kind of talked about it in a roundabout way. It's like, you know what? I don't know. I almost put my hand down for at one point when one of the other persons mentioned something very similar to this. Yeah, but it's, it's a good point, Karen. Thank you for your call. Thank you, Paul. Uh-huh. Miss Deborah. Phone number ending in 8219. Uh, this is Peter Heidi in Wisconsin. Hey, sir. Um, hey, Peter. Hi. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I think causes problems is that when you've got um, SSI, SSCI, um, that you have, you have the security of having medical care available. And many people with uh, eye problems have extended um, eye concerns with medical and that uh, many of the jobs yeah. that, that younger people are getting don't have any kind of medical um, care that goes with them and that they live, they live on that edge of being covered uh, some are covered by parents, uh, insurance companies, but I mean, even, even when you're in your twenties, I mean, I, I went for, um, I think I went for almost 10 years with no, no coverage. Scary. Um, just, just, um, you know, 
betting that I I could beat the odds. Yeah, uh, Peter, I think I think you make a really good point um, that it isn't so much uh, an unwillingness to 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 work as it is an unwillingness to risk not having medical coverage after a certain amount of time. Yep. Now, you know, SS, SSI has certainly made some changes in that you can keep Medicare and Medicaid coverage for five years um, after, after you go to work. But, but, mo- but most of the time, people are scared to death that, um, that after the five years, they're, they're going to lose their coverage. And then when they lose their job, it's going to take them six months um, yep. to get back the coverage that they've lost. So they're, right. they're scared. Scared to death. That, yep. And, and yeah, that's that's the other side of it. And then I I think that Larry is is right that um, I mean part of the problem is that so many sighted people start to start jobs at fourteen. Um, I, right. I think that that sixteen eighteen trying to get into the work market at sixteen eighteen it's too late. Um, we need to be getting into that job market. Um, at 14, and uh, and some of the things that we used to be able to do, you know, I, I went to the school for the visually handicapped in, in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm sort of a stereotype um, that um, I did basketry, I did caning, I did uh, yeah. piano tuning, and and that um, that we need those skills for manual dexterity. We need those places of um, you know, uh, in gym that I was, I mm-hmm. loved the parallel bars because it helped know it helped you know where your body was in space. Yep. Um, yep. We, in, in mainline mainline schools, um, there aren't a lot of teachers that are willing to take those kinds of risks of putting blankets up on parallel bars. Yep. So I hear you. I think that all of those things sort of contribute to not having not having the confidence that you need to be able to go out into the job market. Now, you've actually done quite a few jobs, have you not, Peter? I have. <laughs> yeah. And and so, so one of the things one, one of the things that I think you demonstrate is that um it is that the system for a variety of reasons sort of prepared you, but but of course you were interesting in that you're one of the few people I know who three or four times in his life got his sight back and then lost it again. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, yep. but that, yeah, I mean, it's, um, that, you know, whether you're, you're with visual impairments, you know, that people either assume that because you can see that you can do everything right, and you don't have all the skills, you, you just nope. don't have the physical ability to do some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or, or they think that you're an absolute genius because, you know, you're blind and you're able to tie your own shoes. Um, but that, uh, I mean, we really do have a, a, a really good system in place for paying you not to get into the job market, but not for paying you for the job that you're not doing. Yep. Peter, thank you so much for your call, man. Good points. Miss Deborah. Okay, 7276, end of your phone number, 7276. Yes, Dave Trevino from Delaware. Hey, Dave, Uh, another small state heard from. Yeah, (laughs) you know, 
I've heard this word mentioned maybe a couple times tonight, but what about aptitude? Uh, it, it, it doesn't seem like a lot of attention is paid to the aptitude of the individual. There are things that that kids are good at, mm-hmm. but that that ability is not always capitalized on. I was extremely mm-hmm. fortunate to be uh, good in in the area of music, mm-hmm. and uh, I got my first uh, tape recorder when I was eleven years old. And so, when I went to Gadsden State Junior College, I had studied the the practicalities of production techniques, and I was light years ahead of the of the sighted kids. and And I got a job uh, at a at a radio station. And then, when that station ran into financial trouble, and I I had to leave, I came back to the college ostensibly to finish my education and they offered me a job nice so you know we're, we're not stupid uh but but why can't why can't attention be paid you know the earlier the better to things yeah. that kids are good at doing one of the things that um one of the things that we've done in Florida over the past uh, two or three years, and we talked about this on an earlier Tuesday topics, is we have tried to develop a blindness-specific vocational education tool um, that we hope will end up getting adopted um, nationally. Because, um, as you say, Dave, if 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 you have no idea what the skill set that a that a blind kid has, particularly in in relation to blindness, you know how good are they at O and M? Are they better in the daytime or at night? Um, what are their computer skills like? What? How about how about their social skills? Can they live on their own? And on and on and on and on. Unless you know those things, yeah, you, you're 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 not going to be able to assess that that kid's readiness to go to work. Nor are you going to be able to measure that kid's aptitude either. And uh, somebody mentioned the uh, the workarounds to skirt the ADA. When you when 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 you have companies that say you must have a valid driver's license. Oh yeah, th- there ought to be a law against that. Well, and and there and there actually and there actually is sort of um, it, but but it takes a lot of pushing um, to get past it. Um, particularly in terms of uh, Title II jobs, that is jobs from state and local governments, you're not supposed to be able to to, to use that as a, as a reason if the person can demonstrate that they can do their job in another way. With technology uh, as advanced as it is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, certainly we, you know, we're still not on the cutting edge. I mean, we, we, we've got progress that we need to make but more and more it's easier to work for yourself i've started my own production company yep. because i can do things online and and there's uh, a and, and there's enough there's enough i mean there are a lot of blind people who've done that there's a, and there's enough work out there for you mr dave yes that's excellent it's excellent you you had you had um art 
our director of the Division of Blind Services as your director before he came here? Well, I'm, I've only been a resident of this state for four years. Yep. Yeah. So, so he's, I, he's I, been I, down I, here since then. Okay. Yeah. But he's, it's interesting. Dave, thank you so much for your call. Certainly. Excellent. Miss Deborah? Okay. Now, let's see. I'm seeing people that we already heard from. Let's so see. let's let's let, tell me tell me who we have. Let's see if we want to hear from uh, one or two I more people. I was seeing Chris Bell, but I don't see him now. Chris, if if you'd like to mm -hmm. add something, feel free He's to. He's not showing. No, I think that was the only that was the main one. So now right. I don't see any other hands raised. So let me summarize a little bit and then talk about some some solutions um i'm not sure i i have all of the answers either let me start out by saying what i propose to do on labor day um the the american council of the blind has an employment committee um and and it is my hope uh, around labor day or perhaps in august to invite the chair of the employment committee um, to, to be a part of this program. We also have a rehab task force, um, and, I, and I hope to invite them to be a part of this program that we'll do on employment. And third, there is uh, a, an organization within ACB of uh, federal employees, and I would like to invite them to be a part of this major program on employment. I didn't want to do it as a, our, our first beginning, because it seems to me that one of the things that we need to do um, is, is to try to come to terms with what we think some of the major problems are with employment. Um, and then having that background and also having at least thought through some solutions, um, it, we're then going to be able to, to better hear from um, our ACB groups who can tell us some of the things that they're doing um, to to actually improve the situation. And, and they can also hopefully tell us about um, other programs that are out there. Um, Scott Marshall, for example, um, talked or sent me a message today um, from Be My Eyes that talked about a new company that they have um, begun to operate with. And Scott, if you, if you want to put your hand up again, if you're still here, um, I can't get to that message. I should have written it down and I didn't. Um, but, but what's interesting is this is actually a company that's prepared to work with folks um, who are blind and, and who, who want help developing career choices, uh, who perhaps where perhaps they haven't been successful with um, vocational rehabilitation and they will work with these folks to, to help them not only make career choices, but then um, to look for, for jobs that, that might be appropriate as well. So I was, um, I had not heard of the company before. Um, and so was intrigued to, to find out that it was there. Um, so having said that much, we do have some hands. Uh, all right. Who would? Who shall and we start I, with? And I wonder if I might also make a comment. You may. Please. Of course you may. So I keep thinking, and I don't 
think there's any easy answer at all. I think that my thinking on this is sort of like coming at it from later in life, but I think we need to do more to help blind children, especially to be self-aware and other aware. And there's such a delicate balance because if some are too other aware, well, it might turn into the wrong kind of people pleasing and too self-aware can sometimes turn into added egocentrism. Uh, mm-hmm. But to be aware in such a way to to learn to balance those things with a great deal of wisdom of, hey, when is it a good time to advocate and when is it a good time to sit back and maybe wait or ask for help and all those things. And I think a lot of times blind kids, you know, they get people telling them what to do in a kind of a condescending way and a ha ha ha, isn't that cute? Oh, you know, he never does or she never does the right thing or just really very condescending things. So helping the professionals and the parents to communicate in a, in a good way and the teachers for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm fascinated, um, Deb, that, that mm-hmm. virtually everybody tonight has said that where we need to be doing most of our work is with children. I think it's, it's fascinating because I think everybody's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think we create the barriers to employment if we don't do it for kids when they're children, because by the time they get to be 18 or, or 19, um, they are so fully formed um, that, that it's very difficult to make changes in those folks when, when they're adults. Um, I guess I would add one thing, um, and that is we need to be really careful um, that we don't um, that we don't neglect folks um, from uh, other ethnic groups like Hispanic folks yes. and Black folks, because those are the kids who are coming out of high school the least prepared, um, mm-hmm. and and they're coming out the least pre- prepared because I think expectations from teachers and expectations from rehabilitation agencies and 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 perhaps even expectations from parents for a variety of reasons and that's no insult to the parents are lower for those folks um than 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 they are for your kind of ordinary white bread white kids yes yes i i agree and 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 so i think that's one of the things that we have to specifically design into our program a recognition that that those folks are underserved and underprepared and therefore, and, and, you know, statistics, rehabilitation statistics say they're about twice as likely not to succeed in vocational rehabilitation as, as other groups are. And doing more for teachers and others to change those expectations. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Scott. Right. Scott. Yes, I'm, 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 I am here. I know. <laughs> uh, Bless you. <laughs> uh, and Paul, I can't tell you much more about the Beep My Eyes uh, program. It landed in my email box today, and I didn't have time to investigate it further. But they did mention that LinkedIn is also doing some video support as well. So, again, it's 
more things, more things to. Do you, do you remember the name of the company, Scott? Because I don't, I don't. Inclusivity, I believe it was. Called. I think you're correct. Yeah. Uh, so what they event. say is, if you if you if you go to be my eyes and you take a look in the special, um, the 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 special areas. Oh, the health this, section. Yeah. They have yeah. This, ACB yeah, this, is even there. Yes. Yeah. ACB is one of the special helps, and inclusivity yeah. is also there. So. Um, if, it, but it, it, it wasn't a company I knew anything about. And, and yeah. so we may, we may end up seeing if they want to come on to Tuesday topics eventually to tell yeah, us what they do. Yeah, that would be an interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, just one, one final comment for me. Um, sure. And on, on this topic anyway, um, I, I think it's been a great evening in terms of kicking around some of these ideas. Um, and I, I'm glad that uh, the gentleman from, from Vermont mentioned the LEAP program. New York used to have something similar yes. for kids going to college. And then they discontinued it. But and, and these kinds of things are ideally suited to the rehab system to support. Yes. And um, I, I think that's, that's something we need to perhaps work on. Um, and that's next hour. But um, the other thing that that's, I found I was struck by uh, Debbie's comment about uh, other kids and interacting with other kids and how how um, blind children um, are perceived. Um, you know, Morris Frank tells the story of the Seeing Eye that in the '30s he was having a heck of a time getting to the head of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Uh, that railroad would not allow a seeing eye dog on board until Morris Frank met the son of the president of the Pennsylvania Railroad, mm-hmm. who uh, became quite engaged with him and his dog, and that was the avenue to to educate the father about the problem. So I, I think the education can go both ways, is the point. And that's really important too and uh again these things take money and take time and uh there there are no easy answers to any of it one of the one of the interesting things um is the variation that exists from state to state in terms of when when blind kids can begin to be served by that's a problem uh by the vr system um in the state of Washington, my understanding is that kids can be served from the age of 10. Um, in most states in the country, for blind folks, it's 14. Mm-hmm. And for for non-blind folks, it's 16. Um, but one of the one of the difficulties is that in in what are called combined state plans now that are part of WIOA, um, there's a requirement that the ages be the same and um, general VR is not really interested in starting to serve kids earlier, um, which sometimes means it's harder um, to get services to be delivered to kids who are blind as early as they should be. Yes, absolutely. The entrepreneurship is another issue that was mentioned that I think Uh, is underutilized too. I mean, um, I know it's expensive. There's been an authority in the Rehab Act for years allowing them to support 
entrepreneurial right. activity, but nobody has really gone down that road. And, you know, again, that's something that may not be for everybody, but it may be for uh, appropriate and of interest to some. Part of the uh, part of the problem with entrepreneurship is it has so seldom been successful. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it's got a very bad reputation within vocational rehabilitation, but I don't think it deserves it. Yeah. Um, you know, we've well, fought in Florida. They're looking for a quick closure is what they're looking yeah. for. Right. Know, we've we've fought in Florida for a requirement that essentially says if you want to, um, if you if if you want to become an entrepreneur, that's fine, but you but you have to go through training at a at a community college or university. You have to demonstrate your ability. You have to write a proper entrepreneurial plan, and and only then um, can we begin to negotiate with you when you've met those qualifications. But they'll support a vendor uh, in the vending program with a lot. They of will. You're absolutely yeah, right, and, and I, of course. I, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. You're right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. it, Miss Deborah. Zero two two five. Let's see. Did I? Uh, did let's see. There we go. Zero two two five. Dum 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 dum. Zero two two five. Dum 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 dum. Zero two two five. Yep. You are un. You are Beautiful. allowed to. Uh, yeah. Zero two two five. Are you there? I like that unmutable. That's a nice term. Unmutable. <laughs> <laughs> mm. How about Larry? Mr. Johnson. Go for there it. There you go. I have two points, uh, Paul. First of Sir. all, with regard to your <clears throat> Labor Day program, mm -hmm. um, I, I have a, a, a caution that maybe we put too much emphasis on the qualifications of blind people to be related to their knowledge of technology. And, and I worry because there are some people who are just plain not able or willing to learn all of the, you know, sophisticated steps involved in using JAWS or their iPhone or this or that. And yet they need jobs too. And, and so we, we need to be careful that we don't just channel everyone into that notion that if you want to get employed, you've got to be computer literate. You've got to become iPhone literate. I don't think that's true. There certainly are advantages, but there are also a lot of jobs where that's not necessary. And customer service is one of the major opportunities for, you know, those kinds of uh, opportunities. And what would you accept the fact, though, that unless you have those skills, your earning levels are are there? There's a pretty low ceiling on them. Well, and that's true for the majority of the population. That 
there are, you know, lower ceilings of right. wages. Uh, if you work in the restaurant industry, for example. Right. Oh, you're right. And so, uh, I mean, yes, it's nice if we can elevate our earning power. But let's recognize that maybe a lot of the blind people who aren't getting jobs aren't getting them because they're being channeled to the wrong kinds of jobs and well, they're not I, qualified for them. I, I guess my concern is um, that, you know, there was a time, say, 30, 40 years ago where where a, a lot of blind people would be channeled into jobs in, in sheltered workshops. Yes. Um, there, there's a, a, a time kind of 20, 20 years ago where, where I think there was more openness, but now I think there's a time in the age of quick closures that there are an awful lot of people who, who the system would like to close out in, in kind of telephone support jobs um, at, at, that that pay the minimum wage are are often part time and, and really aren't long term career jobs. Some of them are are, are quite good positions, and I, I'm not I, I'm not necessarily suggesting that they're not. But but I think that we're beginning to have things like the vending program and and these kinds of jobs become the norm, so that we can actually count the percentages of folks who are being put into those jobs and those percentages are rising. And, and I guess I'm a little concerned about the degree that we're, we're beginning to say to a lot of blind folks, well, you can do these jobs and they're, they're easy to get. So go ahead and take it so we can close your case. Well, yeah, I agree with all that you're saying. And maybe that's why we have stalemated. And maybe yeah. that's why we need to think out of the box and look for other kinds of jobs. And I come back to you again and say, maybe the rehab folks have not sufficiently explored the small right. business market and see, well, maybe this guy could work in a dry cleaners or maybe he or she could work in a beauty salon or right. maybe. And so I don't think that we have really explored the opportunities. And again, I will reemphasize 80% of jobs are with small business. But let and me go I to my could, other point. If I could not oh. agree with you more, go ahead. My other point <clears throat> is you brought up what I think is really, really a critical concern and hopefully a goal mm -hmm. for ACB. And that is how do we begin to reach out to the Spanish speaking population of visually impaired people? Mm -hmm. There are estimated to be some 43 million people in this country whose primary language is Spanish. And of those statistics, say some 60% or around 25 million have difficulty with English. Yep. And what are we doing as an organization to reach out to that population? Yeah. Yeah, we, we keep talking about it. We keep talking about creating a Spanish version of the Braille Forum. Uh, uh, sorry, the ACB Braille Forum. We keep talking about uh, we keep talking about doing more outreach. Um, you know, we've certainly talked about uh, we, we've we, we've certainly got 
committees and other groups um, that that um, that that could and should be reaching out to them. But I, I think you're right. We, we have one a long baby, way to go. One baby step we could take, one baby step we could take would be to have a Spanish language channel on ACB radio. We have 10 channels now. Yeah. Why couldn't we at least have one channel, if not 24 hours, part of the day, offer programming in Spanish? I will work on that. I'll consider that and see what I can do. Thank you. It's, it's nice when we have the executive director of ACB radio helping us with raise, raising hands on Tuesday topics. Thank you for thinking about it, Ms. Deborah. Uh, <clears throat> I may have a suggestion for somebody who might be prepared to help you. Who, cool. who, who I, who I think I may be able to persuade. In fact, there are a couple. And I, I, I'm hoping I can. That's Larry, wonderful. thank you, sir. I think your points are very well made. Miss Deborah, eight two one nine. Yeah, this is Peter again. Okay, um, Peter. That I, um, when I visited family in Denmark a number of years ago, um, I was really um, impressed by the fact that uh, my cousin came and was just all excited because she knew what she was going to be doing and that um, for essentially the rest of her life, her career her career track was set uh, because they did uh, job aptitude testing um, as part of their schooling program. And then they tracked people once they um, had gone through that, that she was um, she knew that she was going to be on her way into um, some sort of uh, administrative uh, support stuff. You know, uh-huh. in those days we called it secretary. But that um, she has, um, throughout her life, she has advanced through through industry and is um, quite a uh, successful business administrator now. Um, that. Uh, you know that they they track people out for for college tracks and all that stuff while while they're in the school system, um, and I think that Larry's right that we need we need some sort of gap. Uh oh, let's see. I hope that didn't do the wrong one. <laughs> let's see. Oh, let's see. Peter, um, there you go. Yep, yep, well, I'm back. Sorry about that. Um, so the aptitude, uh, that aptitude testing, that when we do that stuff um, and then give the people the real the tools that they need in the areas where they really do have aptitude. Um, so, so this is a general educational issue, and I think that it's one that, um, that, that is becoming commonly understood um, throughout the Western world, and the, and it's it's one of the interesting side effects of the pandemic, because as various countries have looked at uh, the impact of the pandemic on the educational system, um, they they have actually recognized that um, that while while the pandemic has certainly heightened issues, um, there are bunches of issues that that existed pre-pandemic in the educational systems of these countries. The United Kingdom, for example, has just published a report um, that says that for um, 
lower income and uh, ethnically diverse students um, in in the UK. Um, uh, education over the past decade has been an absolute failure, and they're about half as likely to be successful when they graduate from school, if they do, um, as as the rest of the, the the folks in in systems. And they have gone to a system that's common in Europe, which Peter was talking about, where there are really two tracks that are identified pretty early. Um, in 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 the case of the UK, it it used to be eleven. I'm not sure if it still is, but depending on how you did in testing that was done, then you would either be put into a, a secondary school track where you were eventually going to be aiming for an academic future, or you'd be placed in in a vocational education track where you would be prepared for for a range of jobs. Um, while you were still in high school. Um, and they've done a really good job at something that we have not done well with at all for blind folks in this country, and that's apprenticeship systems. Um, so um, I think you make a good point, Peter. Thank you. Zero two two five. Let's see if you can talk. Ah. Zero two two five. See, my friend Mark Reichert is here. Mm, let's see if he has his hand. Up. He does. Uh, hmm. I don't. Let's see. He says he did. No, he doesn't. Oh, he does. All right. Go ahead, Mark. Hey. Oh, that technology is a wonderful thing when I it works. Ya. Oh, my God. It is. <laughs> Ay, ay, ay. Uh, <laughs> I uh, uh, I'm so sorry that I'm joining so late. Um, wow. Uh, let's see. I have far too many things to say and not enough time to say it in. Um, we, uh, you know, about the things that ACV should be doing. I I, I said this the other night. Um, I would love to see ACB. <clears throat> focus on a discussion about reframing uh, how we talk about blindness and vision impairment. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, you know, all the data would suggest that there's at least 12 point X, depending on who you talk to, yep. uh, 12, 12 point X million people out there who are older folks uh, who are blind or visually impaired and I think that if we can um, drop the capital B, capital B, capital I labels and reach out to those folks, I think that not only would ACB benefit, but I honestly think we could reframe the conversation nat nationally. Um, and especially, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a uh, policy legislation regulation nerd. So that's how I look at a lot of these things. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> so much of what we do gets shunted into the capital D disability uh, pile. And we get, we get lumped in with those people. And the truth is that most of the folks who are our quote unquote people are people who will never 
identify as having a disability. They will never identify as being someone who is blind or visually impaired. You're, they you're are talking, just folks. They're you're just folks. About the older blind mm-hmm. folks. Yes. Yeah. And, and and these are and and these are these are people. Uh, if we were to reframe the conversation in a way where we said, "Yeah, you know, some of us have been in it all of our lives," or maybe some of us have been brought to this experience because of accident or health or whatever has brought us into this experience. Most of you have been brought into this experience because you have because you are our elders. And uh, and Paul, I know you'll you'll forgive me for lapsing into a little bit of uh, you know, I mean, my 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 Lutheran upbringing. Uh, we you know uh, we need to honor honor our mothers and fathers, yep. whether they are sighted or blind. We need to honor those folks who have come before us, and that means we need to meet them where they are. Anyway, th- enough of the sermon. My only point is. I think that, that, and we talked about this before, and I know others uh, who are running uh, for offices this summer feel this way too. And and I, I I just I really feel strongly that we all need to be engaging in this kind of broader conversation about how we redefine what it means to be living with vision loss and welcome those people who don't think of themselves as us. And maybe we should be thinking more along the lines about how we can be reaching out to them. Anyway, thanks. Are, are we selling? Uh, are, are we selling blindness the wrong way? Well, I I, I, <laughs> I, I love your choice of the word selling, and and yeah. you know, look, uh, I, I I was I was tangled into another conversation earlier tonight uh, with a different organization that went far too long, uh, and I missed the rehab. Right. Uh, conversation, well, the employment you, conversation. Well, and, well you and, actually, and, you actually didn't because we haven't gone on to the second part because <laughs> <laughs> because the the employment part stayed. So, if you want to say some things about employment, feel free to do that. <laughs> well, 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 but your your comment about selling, yeah. So, of course, years ago, what was it? The the uh, the 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 book, the making of a blind man. We don't yeah. have to go there, right? I mean, that's that's old I, news. I I hope not. Right, uh, right, <laughs> yes, right. I mean, hopefully, people know about that. And and then, uh, but but yes, are we selling blindness the wrong way? Sometimes, and I've said this before. I, and uh, look, I'm I am a proud life member of the American Council of the Blind. And I, yet, sometimes I wonder if we in ACB and our friends and sisters and brothers in the NFB who brag about their organization, sometimes I wonder, you know, we, we get so tangled up in bragging about ourselves and the vast majority of people out there uh, don't identify with either groups or, or frankly, I, I, I mean, honestly, a part of me wishes that that they would almost be in a position to reject us. Because if they were in a position to reject ACV or NFB, then they would know about us in the first place. And the truth That's is, right. most of those people don't. So, you know, it's a it's it's a really interesting question in terms of knowing 
in 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 terms of knowing how we ought to sell to attract um, to attract uh, that population. One of the one of the things that some of us have talked about is we need to meet those folks where they are, mm-hmm. and that means that means we need to think about getting in touch with support groups that already exist in 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 nursing homes and um, independent living facilities, and trying to to if you like infiltrate them mm-hmm. and meet them where they are and encourage them to become a part of us um, as once we've demonstrated that we have something to offer them mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. I think I think one of the things that that is true of ACB particularly where older folks is are concerned is we we don't do a good job of making clear that we have something valuable to give to them we sort of say, join us because, um, mm-hmm. with, without saying to them, here's what we can give you. We have, we have resources. Um, we're, we're publishing a, a, a magazine that will really help you. Um, and on and on and on. But we're, we're mm-hmm. not, at least at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, um, tailoring, um, what we have to offer, um, in, in in a way that um, in a way that makes it appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, right. Do you want to say something about employment before I let you go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, what do I want to say about that? So so. <sighs> I get so frustrated talking about employment. Yeah. <clears throat> I think all of us do, because the reality of it is we, I mean, the blindness system, look, there is, there is no segment of the disability community who has worked the vocational rehabilitation and employment side of the street longer than the BVI community has. Yep. That's true. I I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, centuries old or that's longer than that but anyway but it's it's a long time <laughs> and, and and yet and yet we haven't made any progress well why is that i mean i think you know discrimination is alive and well sure. uh, we have there, there are there are uh, friends of ours who work in the disability rights world who say discrimination is our business and unfortunately discrimination and our business is doing really well. Right. I mean, it's a, it's yep. a, it's a, it's a bitter, sweet, sick, twisted joke. Yep. Uh, but then, but then the other piece of this and Paul, you and I were talking about this um, before this call. I, do we really have a system that meets our needs? Do we really have, I mean, look, it, it has been my assignment for many years, and I expect uh, other people who, before I got on this call, uh, you know, may also have been in this position, you know, where it has been our, our we've been paid to defend uh, the state voc- vocational rehabilitation system or right. you know, all of that. And, you know, look, I'm not ashamed of that work because the reality of it is what's the alternative, right? I mean, that's, that is the hard part about being human. Sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes the work you do during the day and how you feel, the truth is they kind of complement each other. I, I, you know, uh, we don't want to uh, turn our backs on 
the system that we have. And yet, is that system really that much better than all of the, the, the systems that we claim uh, our system can trounce in terms of uh, employment outcomes for people who are blind? I mean, all the data that I have seen that talk about the justification for separate state agencies for the blind right. uh, would suggest that state agencies do better, but they don't do better to the tune of, you know, 30% versus 70%. No, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a very narrow statistical margin. And then when you really drill mm-hmm. down farther than that and you say, what are those employment outcomes? You say, well, okay. If, I, if employment outcomes is the measure, uh, I, I, you know, are all those blind folks uh, getting out of separate state agencies? Are they really doing so much better for people out of generic agencies? And the truth is, they are not. I, I would not. agree with that. So, with so that. anyway, so the, the 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 punchline to all of this is, I, I, you will never catch me saying that state agencies for the blind are not important but i will say to everyone in this and i guess i am because (laughs) because it's going out there and 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 i would say so i guess i am saying that that we, we we should be careful in our advocacy uh for state agencies for specialized services in recognizing that it is a it is a very fragile gossamer thread Mm -hmm. and 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 uh Maybe, just maybe, if we all put our little collective hearts and minds together, maybe we just might be able to do better. You know, in the in the in the 1980s, um, and, and and I'll take you back here because I I know you've been there. Mm. One of the things that happened was the vocational rehabilitation system was challenged by the independent living system, mm. um, and. And there was certainly a period where the independent living system thought um, that that they were going to find themselves replacing um, the rehab system, and and it mm-hmm. didn't happen. Um, but it, is there something we can learn from um, the independent living system? Should there be more requirements that more control is exerted on state rehab agencies by folks who are blind. Um, oh, oh my gosh. Uh, the short answer is yes, yes, and yes. How's that for a right. short answer? Right. I mean, I, the reality of it is, and, and uh, <coughs> some of us are actively involved in something called the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition. ACB is up to its neck in that. Right. Uh, the organization I uh, work for during the day, AER, is involved in it. Yours truly gets to be the uh, the principal drafts person of the legislation that we're trying to put together on this topic. So anyway, so <clears throat> I mean, are there lessons to learn? Absolutely. Should we be thinking about how to drive money down toward the local level? Uh, right. For sure, and and eliminating bureaucracy. <laughs> Sure. We we, we, uh-huh. we we do not. <laughs> you and I are laughing at the same time because because we don't have the time to talk about this right now. But I will say to you that you know part of the challenge that we have had in this aging and vision loss coalition is how do we do that 
while at the same time honoring, promoting, increasing funding for the state vocational rehab agency driven older blind program. Right. That has been on the books for, you know, 40 years or more. Uh, that all of us have fought our little fingers, you know, to the bone to promote. Yeah. Right. And, and and that in some states is the only funding source. Is the for only damn thing services. that they have. That's yep, exactly for, right. For, for older blind folks. So, That's exactly yeah. right. And so and part of the problem with that thing that you're talking about in the mid nineteen nineties, and I remember it well because I, I don't know how many uh, uh, folks listening into Tuesday Topics remember the name Julie Carroll. But if you don't sure. know the name Julie Carroll, I know, Paul, you do, and I expect a few others do. Oh, no. I didn't do that, Mark. I did not touch anything. He's coming back. He's coming back. Let's see, Mark. Yes. Where did you go? Mm. Uh, well, while Mark isn't here, I'll see him. Yeah, I, I will. I will tell everybody that what we're going to do, uh, what we're going to do for next Tuesday topics is the is the topic we were going to do for the second hour. Um, so, uh, because this one has has actually survived, um, I know Terry Pacheco has come in, and maybe we she can has, and so uh, Tim or Thomas. Cummings, I think that's Tim, yep. is also here. And yep, excellent. So let's recognize one of them. Who do you want to go with first? Tim, I think that's you. Tim Cummings. Yes, hi. This is actually Cheryl. Hello, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> I could have guessed that. Sound How like are him. you? Wow. It's a little higher. Tim, it's a lot of me to use Wow. So what an amazing conversation uh, you guys have been having. Um, I want to respond to the um, issue around ACB um, doing something to reach out to Spanish-speaking um, individuals. Huh? Um, I want to say, and I think it's on the ACB uh, community's uh, news uh, you know, bulletin that Cindy sent out uh -huh. that there's actually a Spanish language call happening tomorrow, um, and I don't remember the time. And it's a call that's just for people who speak Spanish, and it's our sort of new attempt sponsored by the Multicultural Affairs Committee and the Membership Committee. Um, is our, it's, it, they said it's our new attempt to try to reach out. Mm -hmm. The Spanish-speaking folks who are blind and low—that is so cool. Yeah. And thank yeah. you for calling and telling us about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Are you going to yeah. broadcast that on ACB Radio too, um, 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 Deb? Would you know? I think that's down to be streamed this time, but mm -hmm. I, I, we'll see what we can do about more of them. Maybe, messages. maybe it would be good to to, to let them get get past yeah, their first yeah, one and make a decision. It. But, but right. I would sure love to see us doing some some Spanish language streaming. I think it'd be really cool. Yes, yeah. I think I think that's something that's being considered. Uh -huh. and so I want to say to people, I mean, absolutely push, keep pushing and advocating for ACB to do more. Um, but please know that people are talking about this, and people are trying to figure out um, how to make um, you know 
sustain the the call, increase outreach, all those types of things. And and do you, do you want to talk to us about what multicultural affairs is doing at conventions since you're here? Oh, if um, you know. I, 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 I prefer to leave that to, to, um, to Peggy and others. Very good. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to give out wrong. <laughs> but I want to, to also make some comments on the issues around employment. Sure. Because I think you know, Paul, that I run a, a nonprofit that works with kids. Um, uh, it's and we have a. It's an after-school program. Uh, our kids are blind and low vision, and part of it includes career exploration. And many of them have secondary disabilities too, don't they, Cheryl? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But but what it, what I want to say is, you know, the challenge that I face running the organization is that you know we don't have tons of kids participating, so you know. In a year, maybe we have 10 kids, 15 kids, um, and then we struggle, struggle, struggle to get funding. Um, and, and some organizations start to fund us, and I don't know where they think we're going to find all these students, but then they're like, oh, we're going to stop funding you because, um, you know, the group you're serving is so small. Now, could you <laughs> handle serving more students if they were there? Well, I mean, it's the chicken and the egg, right? right. So, like, we don't have money <laughs> to serve more kids. <laughs> right. But we can't get more money to serve kids because we don't have more kids. Um, so, in all honesty, I mean, if we <coughs> could find somebody or a, a, an organization that would say, like, hey, we're willing to invest in your work and we're going to do that for uh, many years. And we're going to help you to like grow your organization. I mean, not just to grow, but so that we can serve more people, more kids. Um, then we could absolutely do it because, um, as as you've all been talking, an essential and I I think this I've thought this for many years. An essential part of trying to change our employment numbers is making sure that our kids of all abilities understand that they can do things, mm -hmm. that they, right. they're, they're individuals, they can make choices. I mean, I, I've had kids who, they, you know, blindness is their only disability, but they're so accustomed to people like doing things for them that it's, you know, <laughs> you want to pick them up and shake and say, yep. come on, move, do, you know. Um, but but we, we, we usually accomplish that over time. Um, That's excellent. Right. Um, Ms. Cheryl, we're going to talk more about your program. We're going to invite you on when we, when we try to showcase some other programs that are out there, um, particularly for kids in school. So stay tuned. <laughs> we're going to contact you and give you a chance to talk a lot more about your program. And thank you for your call. All right. Thank I'm sorry. Cheryl. Okay. All right. Thanks yep. a lot. Thanks. Yep. Yep. And can we take Terry? We can. We, wind up, Terry? we can. Terry, you've got two and a half minutes. Oh, I can rant for longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're one. I, <laughs> unfortunately, I missed a good part of your program. I was on the webinar training, but 
Um, so I may be over going over dead issues, but I'm not sure. Um, I think there are two issues I'd like to bring up, and one of which is that you and Mark were talking about a few minutes ago, and that's the, the visually impaired community. Yeah. Um, I think what's where we've gone wrong and where the system has gone wrong as far as that is concerned, that group is concerned, is we are not necessarily giving people the what we're trying to give people is not necessarily what they want or need or ready for. And they are the biggest, the far, far, far larger community than we are. No and question. that's what I think we need to that's what I think we need to be focusing on what they need. You know, if you remember back when Alliance and Aging and Vision Loss was started, Teddy Remhild and the people who started that did not want the word blind involved with it because so many of the people that they were trying to reach are not ready to deal with blindness yet. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think we are, we've fallen very, very short on. As far as employment is concerned, I think what's really happened is we are so much further behind now than we were 40 years ago. And that's because we have developed such an attitude. Well, there are two reasons. I'll leave that one alone for right now. If you stop and look at how many people are employed today compared to 40 years ago, the difference is we have created an industry of disability. And that's where so many people now are getting paying the rent from. And that's where people are getting jobs is in that and not in the in the global community. Now, we when, not, you, tell, tell, tell me more about what you mean by an industry of disability. How many, how many people, are, how many blind people and visually impaired people are not working in disability rights offices, in support, in rehab, in gotcha. anything to do with disability? How many people are actually out working for the Social Security Administration? Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I know 50 years, 40, 50 years ago, as an example, in Boston, there was a, okay, a little bit snobby sounding, but there was a group called Bugs, and it was blind university graduates. And those were all people who were, <clears throat> who were blind, but almost, almost all of them either had a private legal practice, were in some other, some other field, were working in the insurance industry, were working for the government and other, in, you know, in tax law. In, it was happened to be the one closest to me um, right. in, in lots of things like that. And I don't think we've got anywhere near as many people working in those types of industries today as we did 40 years ago. What we yep. have now is a gazillion people that are working in something related to disability. And yep. that's, I think, pathetic. And it's an that's issue. It's, I think it's an area. And, and it's especially important when we start looking at the younger generation, where so many people in that group that are blind and visually impaired do have other Excellent. Miss Terry, thank you so much for your input. We'll get you to we'll get you to come back two weeks from now when we're actually talking about um, what we're going to talk about in the second hour and what. Uh, so we we shall we shall hear from you again in two weeks. So thanks to everybody for making this um, an exciting program. 
Um, I thought that we would do two questions, and it turns out we really only did one. We talked for the whole two hours about employment, and I think that everybody had good points to make, and I'd like to thank everybody for making them. Um, we are not going to have a Tuesday topics next week, and that's because next week on Tuesday and Wednesday will be the candidates forum for the American Council of the Blind um, sponsored by the Board of Publications. And I felt like we ought to step aside um, and let um, folks actually get an opportunity to listen to folks who are going to be candidates. Two weeks from now, we're going to do what we were going to do in the second hour. So stay tuned. I'll send out a message about both of those things and look forward to our Labor Day thing as well. In the meantime, remember that work is what you make of it, not what other people say it is. Good night. Good night.